Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hello and welcome to the Health Upgrade Podcast. This is Dr. Habib and I am very excited about today's special episode. I am here in Florida for a very special event and I'm beside two amazing colleagues of mine. First, I've got my co-host for this season, which is JP Erico. I'm excited to see you here, JP. And we're here with a special guest, and that is Dr. Mike Bagnell. Very, very excited to have this wonderful discussion with you, Dr. Mike Bagnell. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. So Dr. Bagnell is a functional neurologist and a chiropractic physician practicing since 1989 in what is now the Bagnell Brain Center, which is very exciting, in Miami, Florida. And Dr. Bagnell is a graduate of Life Chiropractic University, as well as the Carrick Institute out of Florida as well for graduate studies. That's where he did his functional neurology. And he's been practicing for quite a while, and I'm really excited to learn about how he is using vagus nerve stimulation in his practice and supporting his patients, what kind of patients he sees and whatnot. So that's what we're going to get into today. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you get a lot out of this episode. So tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into Cairo and functional neurology and what you do at the Bagnell Brain Center. The backstory. The backstory. Okay. Backstory in a nutshell. In let's a nutshell. do it. Let's do it like that. So I originally wanted to go to medical school. I decided in my senior year, I think I want to be a doctor. That's what I wanted to do. And so as I was preparing to go to med school and undergrad and all that fancy stuff, I met someone who was going to chiropractic school. I said, what is that? What is chiropractic? And we became fast friends, became roommates actually. And I ended up applying to chiropractic school as kind of a side, I'll just give this a shot. And I got accepted. So I said, I'm off. I'm off to chiropractic school, not really knowing that much about it. But I knew I wanted to be a physician. I love science. I've always desired to understand the why behind the what. Like what's behind this? How does this work? So the scientific process was always interesting to me. And ended up in chiropractic school and thought I made a huge mistake. In the first three months, I was like, oh my goodness, what is this about? And then about six months, I thought, oh, I love this. This is fantastic. So I found my calling, so to speak, in terms of a profession, if you will, and I fell in love with it. And when I graduated, I always had an interest. The classes that stood out to me the most were neurophysiology, CNS and PNS, which are central nervous system and peripheral nervous system, and the dissection labs. I love that. That was the most fantastic thing to me. And as I graduated, they had a program with Dr. Carrick, as you know, a 100-hour certificate in neurology postgraduate for chiropractic physicians. I said, sign me up. So I signed up for that in 1989, very early on, and I started to go to those modules. And I got married and had children. I had to put that on the back burner. (laughs) But I did buy books through the years. There was nothing really neuroscience at that time, 1989, 1990. So I'm just reading neurology. I'm reading some of the classics, if you will and trying to just understand more about how does this really work? This is not really about bones. This is more about the neurology of what's going on. And so I just kept pursuing that, reading different journal articles on occasion, in between three children, in between working, in between all those fun things. Years later, our children are older, adults now, and we have grandchildren. And my wife said, maybe about 10 years ago, you know, you have the time, why don't you go back? So I jumped into the Fellowship in Brain Injury Rehabilitation with Dr. Carrick and the Carrick Institute. And that was like being in front of a fire hose. Yeah. So it was a three-year program, Fellowship of Brain Injury Rehabilitation, and I was 
that's what our colleagues said. They said, just stay, just stay. I know it's way ahead from where you were, but you'll absorb things. And so again, I fell in love even further. And I would say now, 33 years after graduating, I'm more in love with this profession of science than I was even then. So it's fantastic. Once you can continue to grow, keep pulling back the curtains and seeing what's behind that, what's behind that. And vagal stimulation is like that to me. It's like, what's behind that now? As we we're talking before the this podcast, what's behind the possibility with diabetes? What's behind the possibility with depression? What's behind that with the possibility of vagal activation? I'll call it that. I like that better for people. I mean, it's just we're looking at something here that's really a game changer for health, not just for conditions. And so that kind of brings us up to now at this point. I personally love the fact that you just said it that way, that it's for health, it's not necessarily for treating conditions. Yeah. I think, you know, from my perspective, the way that vagus nerve stimulation works or vagal activation works is to modulate the innate immune system. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you're modulating a group of cells that are, in my estimation, the most important cells in your body, the macrophages, microglial cells in the brain, and what they do, they literally build our organs in gestation. They show up very early on. They build our organs. And once we're born, they maintain them. They help them to mature. They help them to be maintained through health. They defend them when necessary. Mm -hmm. But over time, insults, toxins, stress and other things begin to wear those cells down. Yeah. And when I say wear them down, it's pushing them into an inflammatory state. And when it pushes them into that inflammatory state, they cease doing the housekeeping and the maintenance job that's so critical for us to maintain health. The more we can keep those cells in that homeostatic housekeeping mode, yeah. the healthier we are, the longer we live. So it's not necessarily about treating a disease. It's more about how do we maintain our health so that we can handle disease, Correct. we can handle insults, how we can handle wounds in a more healthful way. And I think that the autonomic nervous system, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, has the ability to modulate those cells in a way that helps them to stay in that healthy state and to remain homeostatic, remain in their housekeeping mode. Yeah, I really love that. I love the way you're set talking about the macrophages, the glial system, the glial cells, more prevalent than neurons. That's what we at least know at this point. There's more of those in the brain than there are neurons. How can that be? But you remind me of Dr. David Sinclair out of Harvard, who talks about aging even as a disorder. Not in the way of our friend Dave Asprey that I'm going to live to 180, I'm going to biohack. Well, hey, Dave's a brilliant guy and does a lot of great insight and research and leads people in the right direction. But Dr. Sinclair is talking about what about the aging process linked to some of these things like the inflammatory cascade process? And now what's the biggest thing I think, or one of the biggest things in the world is the immunologic crisis, the neuroimmunologic crisis post COVID. So now people are dealing with all kinds of sequela, primarily in my view, I will maybe not primarily, as one of the leading things is an autonomic insult, an autonomic imbalance, an autonomic network dysregulation. I was reading that this morning. And what is the autonomic system? I like, because I'll be talking tomorrow as well with you, is how are you going to get move blood around the body, right? That's what it's really, if you boil it down to the most basic thing, moving blood flow around the body. 
And if you can't get blood flow to organs and to tissues and to skin and to cells, you are in trouble. And if that blood is carrying inflammatory products in a high level, you are in bigger trouble. Well, so. and the vasculature itself, yes, whether the it's in right. original vasculogenesis or an angiogenesis where you're restoring or regenerating it, or just simply remodeling of it, of the vasculature, is all carried out by those same macrophages. Well said, yeah. And so there's macrophages in your bones, they're osteoclasts. Mm. There's macrophages in your liver, they're the Kupfer cells. There's macrophages in your lungs, they're the alveolar macrophages. Very good. The ones in your brain are the microglial cells. They're there for your entire life. They actually came from outside your body during embryogenesis or embryology. It came in from the outside and they're like the construction crew. We've talked about the skyscraper oh, that's given. Yeah. They come in from the outside, they build it. They become the maintenance crew. They become the security team. They're the landscapers. They literally handle everything. And moving blood is one of the most important things that they do. They're involved in the vascularization of every organ in your body. Yeah. So this is good. the idea of being able to modulate them using the autonomic nervous system is critical. Yes, I love that. I love that we're talking about. So now we, we hit all these physiologic things and some of the most oldest paleo type of processes in our body or structures and cells. And now how are we going to bring about health restoration? How are we going to restore health? People listening to the podcast and so many podcasts and so many health ideas. But get down to, I like that, even at the Carrick Institute, we talk about the things that are midline in the brain and midline in the brain stem, like we were talking about some of those structures earlier, are the most ancient, the oldest that we rely on so heavily. So vagal stimulation, vagal activation, let's talk about that a little bit more because this is uh, the crux of what we're here to talk about. Absolutely. So yeah, go ahead. No, vagus nerve stimulation is a way of, as we've just been talking about, modulating the immune system. It modulates neurotransmitters. Right. It modulates your gut health, your gut microbiome. Right. It modulates your respiration rate, your heart rate, your ability to move blood around the body. Like you said, the inflammatory status of the body. Absolutely, and the metabolic state of the metabolic body. State. I think of the effects that it has on injury and not necessarily on healing of the injury, but on the capability to heal. Mm -hmm. And I want to differentiate that. It's not healing you, but it's giving your body the ability right. to heal more effectively. Right. Yeah. So one of the ways in which you're using the device, I would imagine, is in patients who have had perhaps concussions or they've had some sort of neurological insult. And you're talking about also COVID. Long COVID is one of the, the topics that's very interesting to me also because it mimics things like ME-CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, or fibromyalgia, which also have this history of an inflammatory or physical emotional stress that occurred over a chronically long period of time so that you have these symptoms. In, in your experiences with your patients, you've been using vagus nerve stimulation now for quite a while, yeah, I understand. We have been, right? But So one of the keys we talked about earlier is well, we have an adult and a pediatric population in our center. We see, of course, concussions, post-concussions, but we also see a variety of conditions. In the last three years, I've seen more anxiety, OCD, and depression than, in the honestly, in the previous 10 years combined, in the last three years. It's just an explosion, as most people would imagine. And so we use vagal stimulation to create activation in the brainstem when that area is showing a deficiency, an imbalance. 
We don't just use it arbitrarily like, oh, let's just throw vagal stim on people. No, we want to have a proper diagnostic picture. We want to understand what's going on. And is it the best therapeutic intervention for them? And the truth is, I find in my experience, a large percentage of the people, it is one of the best interventions. And we couple interventions. So let me give you an example. We do neurofeedback in our center. We do different types of protocols in neurofeedback. It's very effective, but we also use vagal stimulation in between. So we'll do a 20 minute session of neurofeedback. I'll pause the neurofeedback every five minutes and I'll do a dose of vagal stimulation. And we're seeing some dramatically better scoring for people when they're trying to raise the amplitude of something like alpha, or they're trying to lower high beta levels. Pretty interesting. Were we seeing it before using vagal stimulation? Yes, but I'm seeing it in much more reproducible results now. And I'm thinking, wow, this is interesting. So we do what we call kind of stacking therapies or combining therapies. We'll use vagal stimulation when we're doing eye movement tracking therapies, which also help the brainstem. Why again do we do that? Because we want to strengthen. I like to tell people we're trying to, in a way, rehabilitate areas of the brain or the brainstem. When you have insult, injury, infection, whatever you might have, if there's a problem in that function, we want to rehabilitate it. It's easy for people to think about rehab with a stroke. Oh yes, of course. But when I say yes, someone has dysautonomia or POTS condition, which of course you treat also, doc. What are you talking about rehab? We want to strengthen the neurology of your brainstem. So we're going to treat it for the goal to strengthen it so that you don't have to be doing this all the time. But you do have it in your back pocket for long-term health as you get older in age. I've also thought this, and you know, maybe you can chime in, doc, sure. is that I see older clients, I'm 59, so I'm getting into that category, but even older, 70s and 80s, where a lot of times I feel that they have a weakened plasticity in their brainstem. So they're having <clears throat> clearing their throat all the time, maybe some difficulty swallowing, difficulty with respiration, not to the point of needing treatment, but my consideration is it's weakened brainstem plasticity. That makes and, a lot of sense. And so they get autonomic and organ dysfunction that they go to the GI doc, they go to the doctor for their endocrinologist for their blood sugar and for their hormones. But maybe as a possibility, we back out of that and look at the brainstem and the vagal complex in particular. So that ties into some of the research have been looking at what effect COVID has on the autonomic nervous system. And people are calling it literally a vagalopathy. Now that term vagalopathy actually, I was first introduced to the idea of a vagalopathy very early on in the development of our vagus nerve treatments and approaches. But the concept of activating those areas of the brain that would otherwise be activated by a healthy vagus nerve, doing it artificially either through exercises, we've talked about gargling and yeah. chanting and dancing and things like that, versus what I see is sort of the, the modern, easier way to do it, which is electrical stimulation. But in your experience, how quickly you see those results compared with doing the less modern methods. Those are great home suggestions, right? But many of the people that we see, they're not able to dance. They're not able to phonate or sing or chant very loudly. They're not able to get their head back and gargle because they have other conditions that are complicating. So they can't do these things. So they need, the, in my opinion, the neuromodulation to bring them to the level where they can maybe implement those in tandem. So it would be like going to the gym and doing calisthenics. No weights, 
you get a benefit from them, but you may not be very able to do them because you have weakness in certain parts of your body. But when you can start doing weight resistance with machines and with cables, now you're gonna get a more dramatic and robust change. So yes, you can do those things. I do gargling all the time in the shower, but it has to be strong and it has to be relatively, uh, I don't wanna say violent, but you know, <laughs> gargling the water out, I can't do that at the sink. Right. So you have to do these things in a very strong way to get the level, to, to get even close, which I don't even think we can get close. So I still recommend them, but I'd rather use something that's gonna get them to the effective level faster, which would be with the, these devices. I would say from my perspective, I completely agree because Oftentimes when people are coming into our practices, when they're in those later years, if they haven't built a foundation of those practices from childhood through teenage years, through their early 20s and 30s, they don't have that foundation built up, right? If they're Correct. breathing ineffectively for the last 45 years of their lives and they are unable to chant or gargle or hum and not get their state into that parasympathetic, vaguely activated state on a regular basis, we need a therapy. We need a bit of a kickstart or a jumpstart to get that vagal tone turned back on, yeah, to get nice. that nerve working. And that's where the electrical stim can be utilized really effectively. Yeah, like and that. breathing is so innate. We take 23,000 breaths a day. We're going to be breathing every day of our entire lives until we die. And if we're not doing that effectively because either we're handling stressors on a day-to-day -day basis and our kids are driving us nuts and there's financial challenges and there's physical challenges that are popping up because we hit our head or something along those lines, that's pushing us every single time into that sympathetic yeah. state where inflammation pops up and becomes more of a, a trigger and more of a threat. And over time, that inflammation builds and builds until the cup eventually overflows. And so what we need to do is either do these foundational exercises with our kids very early on. I hum with my kids before meals. Mm -hmm. We try to get them into this calm state before we get I'm into coming a digestion to your house for dinner. State. It's got to be interesting. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, especially it. the five-year-old loves doing it. <laughs> it's good. But doing that just for a couple minutes before you go to eat, yeah. you're setting your body up to be in that parasympathetic state to get into rest and digest. And if we haven't been trained to do that, unfortunately, that's not something that my parents knew much about. So it's not something that we did. And so we see as we get a bit older, these challenges starting to pop up in yes. our health. That's where the STEM can come in and really do that extra kickstart to help us get into that parasympathetic state. And I just want to riff off something that you said before, because you were talking about children and you were talking about the older population of patients who are in their 70s and 80s who are beginning to have what's called a vagalopathy or challenges with their brain stem function because they've lost the plasticity of the brain that they need in order to learn, make new memories. That's happening not just at a conscious level, but actually physiologically, they're losing that flexibility, if right. you will. Yes. And vagus nerve stimulation can augment what they have naturally to the point where they can begin to, let's say, restore their own flexibility and their yes. own capabilities. But at the other end of the age spectrum, you have children who, one of the real tragedies that we're dealing with as a society right now is the absolute exponential growth in autism. Right. And some of the other related problems, ADHD, bipolar disorder in children, schizophrenia in adolescent right. to 20s. That's right. And it appears from the science that's going on right now uh, and the research, we actually had Dr. Tremblay on uh, a few weeks ago. And what 
she's talking about is, and what they're working on is these maternal immune activation models mm. where it's actually in utero where these children may be exposed to high levels of inflammation either through maternal diet, maternal stress, yep. maternal inflammation that comes from infections, et cetera. And for example, COVID, I'm very fearful that pregnant women who had COVID and had long experiences, long periods of systemic inflammation are going to be at higher risks yes. for giving birth to children who have these neurodevelopmental problems. We've talked a lot about how vagus nerve stimulation can potentially reduce that inflammatory insult or reduce the consequences of that inflammatory insult and how some of the behaviors that these children exhibit are the result of an innate immune system priming and dysregulation and dysfunction that actually recurs later on in life. So some of the people who have that loss of plasticity in their 70s and 80s are experiencing microglial activity that's not necessarily dysfunctional in its activity. It's dysfunctional in its timing. It's dysfunctional in why it's happening. You need that activity, that type of activity during neurodevelopment. Mm, yes. But now it's being displaced. It's that second childhood. It's actually literally going through a second childhood. So I'd love to hear some of the experiences you've had with patients with some brain fog and cognitive issues. Have you seen not a restoration, but some sort of maybe a reduction in the pace of decline? I would say we are seeing an improvement that's more rapid than before we were using vagal stimulation at this level. We're seeing improvements. I mean, this is like, we're talking about like what happened last week in our clinic. So it's yet to be written this chapter. We're still really moving forward into gathering more of the data because it's really in an intensive track right now in our clinic. And like I said, it's like putting things together. So neuromodulation on this level brings up the activity and affects so many systems as you already laid out clinically from inflammation to so many things. And then creating other areas of strengthening because nothing operates as an island, right? In the brain even, right? Uh, no man is an island, no woman is an island, and no, no part of the brain. It's all networked together. So we want to work with other areas that connect to that. Default mode network, central executive, these other networks of the brain and other regions and so forth, so that the whole network is strong. Because neuromodulation on its own, I would say, this is my own opinion, the most powerful neuromodulation that's non-invasive, vagal. This is the most powerful. And I believe we also need things that are rehabilitative on top of that. So if I just stimulate my bicep muscle with an electrical current, it's not quite the same as lifting a barbell over and over and over. But together they might be good. So again, the most powerful I feel in my limited view is for stimulation that's non-invasive, that is going to I hate to say the most bang for your buck, kind of a little bit barnyard, but you're gonna get the most result probably using that. And you wanna think about the whole, how do I develop the integration of the whole brain with that vagal system and getting it working. Like you're talking about the elderly population. We are seeing results. They are coming quicker than they were before as we're integrating vagal stimulation into the whole model of brain rehabilitation. Right, and that's very consistent with the work that Eve Tremblay and others have done showing that in order to learn, in order to consolidate memories, microglial cells have to be 
basically shepherd, shepherding or chaperoning the process of synaptogenesis, neurogenesis that goes on in the hippocampus. And when those microglial cells are not able to function in that homeostatic housekeeping mode because they're inflammatory, they've been primed, they're, they're hypervigilant, you lose the ability to learn. And the reason behind that is that early on in life, you need that aggressive pruning that goes on. Yeah, you need that, right. that process in order to sculpt the functional brain, except it's now out of place temporarily. Yeah. And we talk about things that adults need to do, older adults need to do to stay vibrant, to start doing that barbell lift that you're talking about, along with the stimulation. They need to remain active. That's they true. need to get out and be social. They need to do the crossword puzzle. They need to do the Sudokus. They need to get into conversations, read a book, write a book. All of those intellectual things and, and get out and travel. Because when you do that, you're creating a flood of new sensory information into the brain. And early on in life, the way the brain gets pruned by these microglial cells is in a sensory and activity dependent manner. That means if those synapses are firing, they get reinforced. Yeah, enrich the environment. Not. Yeah, enrich the environment. Exactly. And it's that's kind of limited now. Now people are kind of afraid of that, but we want to encourage them. I mean, exercise is the number one way to create activity. So if you're afraid to travel and, you know, we understand concerns and you have health concerns. My 94-year-old stepdad has not left the house since COVID. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's gone to a few doctor appointments recently, but he's well suited to that. He is like, okay with that. I could never do that, right? Most people, it drives them batty being stuck in the Hopefully house, he's cabin fever. He's doing things. He's on the stock market every day, which I don't know how good that is, but at any rate, we won't go down that path. But the point of that was that, you know, people, if you can't travel, you're not, that's right. Stay active, stay engaged, get some form of exercise. And if you can't because of pain situations, then think about vagal stimulation. Think about vagal stimulation. We were saying something earlier, and I think it's important to touch on. Many people might hear these podcasts, this one in particular, and say, I'll talk to my doctor about that. But your doctor may not be well acquainted with it yet. So you finding out by you know, doing your own research and looking online, this is honestly, I'm a physician, 30 some odd years, and yourself talk, right? So doctors don't always read literature. They don't read research. They're too busy in their practices. It's rare that you find someone, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this message out right now. I'm in favor of slow medicine, like the fast food movement yeah. and the slow food movement that came out of Italy. I'm in favor of slow medicine, right? We slow it down, we get more empathy involved with patients, we understand how to bring them in back their innate healing, and I believe this is probably one of the best pathways is the vagal activation. I love that because for me, that even sounds like a state shift in healthcare towards yes. parasympathetic again. Yes, that's right. right. Isn't that so ironic that medicine has become so quick and almost inflamed in itself? Yeah, it's sympathetic. That we need right? to shift back within the healthcare system Slowly. and how we practice medicine, how we practice optimal health with our patients in a slow parasympathetic form. I absolutely love that you did that. And I want to also just mention, you mentioned stacking therapies with vagus stim, right? With just, we talked about the bicep, for example. How do we want to stack therapies with vagal stim? So I'll have my patients deep breathing while they're doing a two minute stimulation. That's great. Or humming or doing something in addition that can help to the same way that you're gonna electrically stimulate your bicep if you're using a dumbbell at the exact same time. This is the same idea. You can stim electrically and hum or 
deep breathe at the same time. And that's two minutes of parasympathetic hyperactivation, which yes. is phenomenal because a lot of people really need that. Right. I mean, there's so many things you could do. You could, depending on a person's stability, how stable they are as a, a teenager or someone else, they could stand in the corner of a wall and do their vagal stimulation standing up and have their eyes closed. And they're in the corner of the wall so that if they feel unstable, they can just have the wall. But now you're working with stability measures. You're activating more areas of the brainstem. You can do it with head turns, holding it and do head. There's so many ways. It just takes a creative functional neurologist or clinical neuroscientist to say, how can we put this together in a way that's gonna enhance the benefit specifically for you and what your needs are. So if it's an elderly person, I will put them on a foam pad. I will monitor them and I'll do this, the activation. So I was just gonna add one thing, which is to say is that I really love the analogy of the bicep. You wouldn't ask a person to grab a barbell and start doing weightlifting exercises if they had a torn muscle. Correct. What you want is a healthy muscle. What we wanna do is build it when it's in a healthy state so that that muscle tear doesn't happen. And that's what I think that vagus nerve stimulation can yes, do. By great. enhancing and optimizing your innate immune system, your autonomic nervous system to function properly, then it becomes resistant to injury. It becomes resistant to medical conditions. And to throw a bone to the physicians and the, and the doctors out there who are prescribing medications and treating patients who already are ill, I look at it and say, that's fine for them to do. That's their job. Their job isn't necessarily, unless they move in the direction of functional medicine, until they move there, that's not their job to make you optimize your health. They view that as your, as a patient, your job. But I think that as healthcare providers, it's incumbent upon us to educate those people. Okay, now you've come to me for a well visit. We got you healthy. Now we want to keep you there. Yes. How do we keep you there? We're going to optimize your immune system, your autonomic nervous system, your mood, your health in general. And we can do that by having you use this along with all of the other things like exercise. And there's no question exercise is a great, great tool for enhancing vagal tone. Get your diet right. Get you exercising. Get you doing meditation. That, as right. you said, it doesn't have to be vigorous exercise. Walking is all you need to do. Just move and then think and use your brain. If you do those things, we can keep you healthier than if you just eat fast food and watch TV all day. Exactly, exactly. Well said. I love it. This was a wonderful conversation. I think we've learned a lot about how you practice and your philosophy behind practice. Any final words, any final thoughts with regards to our conversation today and any... What's your dinner? <laughs> are we, we going to be humming at dinner? <laughs> oh, final thoughts. Um, I would want to impart hope to people. Sometimes we can get so technical. I can get so technical and wordy. My wife tells me that often. <laughs> but just to impart hope to people. And, and yes, I speak a little stronger with my colleagues because I feel we have a certain responsibility. I guess after 33 years in medicine, it's not a negative response, but it is calling all of us as physicians to a higher level. Let's move in a direction of really helping people, not just patching the wound, not just triaging the blood loss, so to speak. So we appreciate that. But yeah, to impart hope to people that there are things out there and ways to restore and neuromodulation. And I like this terminology, which I share with doctors all around the country, that we practice a form of brain-based healthcare, which is considering the brain and all of its projections and control systems and cellular levels in every condition and see, is it a strong central role or is it not? If it's not, if you twisted an ankle 
hey, actually your brain is involved, but maybe we need just to rehab the ankle. So we like to talk about brain-based healthcare and help people restore. My wife likes to say, we restore them to what they want to do again, back to their life. And if I can bring people back to that, what they were able to do and want to get back to, sometimes it's a little modulated, then that's what I'm about. Just patient by patient, person by person. That's all I'm about. I don't have a bigger mission than that. Just person by person while I'm here. And that's what I love to do. I absolutely love that. I think that's a perfect area to kind of end on. If anybody's looking to get in touch with you, can they just go to bagnellbraincenter.com? Yes, they can find us on the web there and all the social media, same thing, Bagnell Brain Center. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Any thoughts, JP? No, love the fact that this is getting out there and that you're one of the leaders that's going to educate your colleagues about the wonderful benefits to the autonomic nervous system, the innate immune system, to our minds and our bodies. It's wonderful to see you uh, you out there doing this. Very exciting conversation. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. And if you appreciated this or think of somebody that could hear this information and use it for the benefit of their health, then please share it with them. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Health Upgrade Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.